0: You know, I love uh, Christmas. I've always loved it, even as a kid. I've shared with the staff so many times I get sick of hearing it that it's hard to even imagine back in those days. I always knew that Christmas was the birth of Jesus, but I had no idea why he came. I had no idea why he was born in Bethlehem or what the big deal was all about. I just knew Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. That's all I knew. And you can imagine my surprise at age 25 to discover that he had come to glorify God and to save me, and uh, today I want to share with you one of the great Christmas passages of all time in the book of John, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over there, you know, there's so many, uh, John chapter 1, there are so many uh, funny stories that come out of Christmas, true stories, I came across this one a while ago, I wanted to share it with you today said there was a little boy who was really mean and no matter what his parents tried he continued to be self-centered selfish and well just mean christmas was coming soon so the little boy in his usual selfish way made his dear santa letter 12 pages of gadgets and toys when his parents saw the monstrous letter said they were outraged father picked up the little boy, carried him to the living room, setting him firmly on the floor in front of the family's nativity scene. I want you to sit right here and look at this scene until you remember what Christmas is all about. Then I want you to write a letter to Jesus. So the little boy sits there a while, returns to his bedroom, finding a paper and pencil, he begins to write, dear Jesus, if you'll bring me all the presents I want, I'll be good for a whole year. Then he thinks for a minute and shakes his head and he tears up the letter. So he starts again, dear Jesus, if you'll bring me all the presents I want, I'll be good for a whole week. (laughs) Sits there for a minute, shakes his head, tears up the letter. Little boy quietly leaves his room, returns to the living room where he sits back down looking intently at the nativity scene. He gently reaches down, picks up the figure of Mary. Returning to his room, he places the figure in a shoebox, sets the box in the back of his closet, and then he writes another letter. Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again... (laughs) Yeah, well, that's not exactly the way it was supposed to go at the nativity scene, but I suppose that's one approach. When you read the writings of John, you discover someone who was in love with Jesus. And that's one of the reasons I love to read John's writings, because I love Jesus too. I love him with all my heart. Uh, I owe my life to him. Celebrating his birthday is a joy. And John must have had many, many times as he traveled with Jesus, spent time at Martha, Mary and Lazarus' house was with him on the long dusty trails and in all the high points and low points heard him teach in the many parables and saw all the miracles how many nights sitting by a campfire or out on the side of the Mount of Olives under a tree would he say to him, Jesus tell the story again of how you came John was the one who writes in the most majestic way the real meaning of Christmas. And this is what he writes in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the father has made him known. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we always say that Christmas is a miracle, but it is more than we know. The eternal son, the eternal God has come in human flesh to glorify God and to redeem man. And so today we sit on the eve of another Christmas praying that as we are once again exposed to the true meaning of why you came, we will celebrate together when God became flesh. And we'll thank you, God, for no matter what our Christmas holds, it's you who holds the Christmas, and we thank you for being at the center of it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I was reading a story recently about a little girl named Nancy Dugan. She was four years old as Christmas is drawing near. The parents and four older children had tried to prepare Nancy for Christmas. They were trying to talk to her about what the real meaning of Christmas was and why the family celebrated as best they could with a four-year-old. Well, Nancy had a wonderful Christmas with a lot of presents and toys, and a few days later, Nancy was talking with her older sister, and she asked little Nancy, so what did you learn about Christmas? And Nancy said, man, I sure hope Joseph and Mary have some more kids. (laughs) Well, you know, Mary and Joseph did have other children, but none like this one. He was unique in every way. He was God's only begotten. He was God's only son. The incarnation is an incredible story. It's a life-changing story because the story is true. When I was a kid, as I mentioned, I was fascinated by the story of the nativity. In fact, there was this old hokey thing my kids found me a copy of from 1952 put on by the phone company in black and white of a marionette group That was acting out the nativity. I still have a copy of it. I love it. It's the most hokey thing you've ever seen in your life. But I remember as a kid sitting there staring at that thing, mesmerized about why did this Jesus come? I never knew the answer. Well, now I know. The eternal, all-knowing, omnipotent God became flesh and lived among us and died in our place, was buried and rose again. And that's what the Apostle John was proclaiming in this fascinating and spectacular declaration at the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the word. People, Jesus didn't have a beginning in Mary's womb. Jesus didn't have a beginning in Bethlehem. Jesus is God's eternal son. He had always been. But in the miracle of the incarnation, the eternal God, the son, took on human flesh in the form of a baby and came to earth. Literally, John said, in the beginning was the word. When the beginning began, the word was already there. In fact, it was Jesus who helped the beginning begin. Jesus is the eternal word of God. And, John said, and the word was with God, literally equal to but distinct from him. He is God, the Son. There is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the word was with God, face to face with God, co-equal with God is the idea behind those words. And he said the word was God. Some of the cults leave that line out when they use their translations, or they insert a God. It's very interesting. There is no indefinite article in the Greek language. There is no a anything. It has to be implied by the sentence. When you read this line in the Greek, it's even stronger. And it says, and God was the Word. Not a God. The God was the Word. The only God was the Word, is what John is saying. He's not one among many. He's the only one. And what did this eternal word of God do? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He became flesh. John wrote the words literally. He tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent and became one of us. The mystery of the incarnation was explained to Mary like this in Luke chapter 1, verse 34. When Mary was told that she was going to have a baby, you remember her response? How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. The God-man. 100% God. 100% man. Joseph and Mary would have other children but none like this one. Christmas is the celebration of God becoming flesh. And why would he do this? It was very simple. Jesus was coming, John said, to reveal who God is so that no one would miss him. And he was coming to redeem man. Jesus became flesh to reveal God. John put it like this in John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And then in verse 18, John wrote this. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. God was revealed in Jesus. You know, when most people go to Disneyland for the very first time, they have a certain thing in their mind they want to see. For some, they want to see a certain show or a certain character or experience a certain ride. Now, I know this is hard for you to believe, but the first time I went to Disneyland, the only thing I really wanted to see was great moments with Mr. Lincoln. The other thing I'm a little embarrassed to tell you about, the second thing I wanted to see most was the dinosaurs in that thing that were chomping like this with the seaweed hanging out. Because as a kid on the East Coast, I had seen those pictures on the wonderful world of color and I knew I would never get to see them. So when I was going to Disneyland, I thought I'm actually going to get to see these things. Amazing. Now, as you recover from those two statements, uh, he is, (laughs) Abraham Lincoln's one of my American heroes and seeing him animated like that was a great experience. In fact, as I sat there, and they've improved it since then, but as I sat there, I thought, wow, This is really cool. The only thing that'd be better than this is if Abraham Lincoln himself was on that stage. That's what I remember thinking. But of course he couldn't be because Abraham Lincoln is gone and he couldn't be there. He couldn't be with us. You know, I was thinking about that this week. I would love to see God And someday, John said, you will. But in the meantime, I want you to know that someone has come to reveal who God is to you so that you can see him. His name is Jesus. God came and revealed himself in the person of Christ. That's why John wrote in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. But the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Do you remember Jesus told Philip at the last supper in John 14? Philip said to him, show us the father and that'll be enough for us. And you remember what Jesus said to him? Don't you know me, Philip? Have I been with you so long? Don't you know? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Isn't that interesting? Show us the Father, that'll be enough. Don't you know me, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know God? Then you only need to know Jesus. Christmas is the celebration of Jesus, the one who is God in human flesh. That's why Jesus is called the Word. He's the expression of God. That's why John put it, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's why he said in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The word is the logos. It is the self-expression of the purpose of God, our person of God. It's the word that describes how God chose to reveal himself to you and me. The word became flesh. He is the fullness of God revealed in human flesh. This is why later when Paul in the book of Colossians was being inundated with people who were saying God could not become flesh because God is good and flesh is evil. Paul wrote to them in Colossians 2 verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That's why Jesus is called the light of life. That's why John said in verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it, has not overcome it. You see, light exposes. Light reveals. We can see things more clearly in the light. If you really want to see what life is, then you need to let the one who is the life shine into your life. Otherwise, you'll be on this planet for whatever years of existence you have and you will never know life because life is only found in Jesus. He is the light of life. To have connection with God, that's life. So no matter what your circumstance, if you have connection with God, you have life. Because you have the Son. You have God. If you want to know who God is, then you have to know the one who is shining the light of God. That's Jesus. That's why Isaiah proclaimed over 700 years ahead of time in Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Well, when you're reading along in the book of Isaiah, you naturally ask the question, who or what is the light? Because he hasn't told you. He just said a light has dawned. It's going to shine in the darkness. It'll be the light of all mankind. But you're left asking the question, well, who is it? Or what is it? So he goes on to say in verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Uh, You don't like the government you got right now? Well, just hang on. Because I can tell you, the head of the real government is on his way. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the light of the world. And he's going to shine into the darkness. Everyone is going to see. You see, the reason Jesus came to reveal God is that so you and I can know God and have life. That's why John wrote in verse 4, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Do you remember the night of the Last Supper? Jesus prayed and that most beautiful prayer in John 17 verse 3. Jesus prayed this. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Life is found in a relationship with God. That's why John said the one who has the closest relationship with God, who is himself God the Son, has come to reveal him. If you've seen him, then you've seen God. That's why Jesus came. So he could show us who God is and we could have life. That's why this same John would later write in 1 John 5, verse 9, we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. The testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. John said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So you and I can know that God exists without Jesus. You can know God exists without the Word. How do we know that? Because Paul said in Romans 1, the eternal power and divine nature of God, his deity attributes are clearly seen in the things that have been made. In fact, so clearly has God displayed his glory in creation that he went on to say that a person would have to be a fool to look at the intricacy of how all of this works and think that that came about by accident. Professing to be wise, they become fools, he said. You can know that God exists without Jesus or the Word, but if you want to know God, you want to know his person, you want to know who he is and what he's like and what his demands are and how much he loves and how much he cares and what he's done, then you've got to believe God's testimony. The testimony God has given in his Son, the Word. The Word that was alive and the Word that is written. So we might ask, well, why then doesn't everybody come to Jesus to have life if it's so obvious? Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. haven't understood it. So John said in verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. (laughs) So the eternal God who made the world and every person in it, who displayed creation so that we could know God exists, who is himself the very word of God. God visits the planet and there's people who reject him. Because they don't recognize him. Or even worse, John said, because there's some that don't want him. Amazing. But John said in verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That's why the writer of Hebrews was so clear at the beginning of that great book that summarizes in many ways, it's a New Testament word that summarizes the whole story of Jesus in the Old Testament. He begins that great letter like this in Hebrews one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You know what I think God would ask of us this Christmas? Have you seen my son Jesus? He came to reveal me. He's the light of life. And if you finally see who he is and you let him in your life, you're letting me in your life. And we'll have relationship together forever. That's why my son came. But not only to reveal God, Jesus became flesh to redeem man. Look how John puts it again in verse 10. He was in the world John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about. This is John the Baptist. This is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me, because Jesus was born six months after John, humanly, has surpassed me because he was what? Before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, there's times where we wake up and realize what someone's done for us, and we're afraid to lose it. We want to make sure we don't lose it. I was reading the story of a young man. He was probably 11 or so years old. And he's talking with a friend of his, and and his, his dad overhears this conversation. Here's what the kid says. Dad slaves away at his job, so I'll never want for anything. So I'll be able to go to university if I want to. Mom works hard every day, washing, ironing, cleaning up after me, taking care of me when I get sick. They spend every day of their lives working just on my behalf. I'm worried, he said to his friend. His friend says, well, what do you got to worry about? He said, I'm afraid they might try to escape. You know, there comes a time where you realize, wow, look what someone has done for me. Isn't it true that many of us don't really fully appreciate what our parents have done until we have kids of our own? You know, most of us don't mind hard work, like these parents, if um, the cause is good. Most of us don't mind hard work if the cause is good. But none of us wants to be considered a slave. A slave has no say, a slave has no rights, is controlled by the power of a master, receives no pay, no benefits, and is beaten when they complain. The reason I share that with you is that's a, that's a great description of where we are in our sin. No wonder Jesus said everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You ever think of that? In fact, in John 8, verse 31, Jesus said, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so the Jews answered him, we're Abraham's descendants, have never been slaves of anyone. They are quickly neglecting hundreds of years of their own history. We're Abraham's descendants, have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You see, we're all slaves to sin. Boy, that was true in my life. It ruled over me. It controlled my thoughts, my desires, my appetites. That's what sin does. We sin, the Bible says, because we are sinners. But it's interesting, many, many people don't believe that. In fact, most people want to believe we're all basically good, we're all God's children, we all belong to God, and we don't really need to worry about sin because we're all going to heaven when we die because God is everybody's father. Well, that's a fallacy. That is a lie concocted by the evil one. What better way to keep masses of people enslaved and away from Jesus by, other than by convincing them they don't have a need You see, the Jews were trapped in that place. They weren't really looking for a Messiah that would save them from their sin because they didn't think they had any sin. John 8, verse 37, Jesus went on to say this. I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence and you do what you've heard from your father." Abraham's our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do such things. You're doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I told the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear that you do not belong to God. Now people, here's a gathering of the most devout religious people in Jerusalem and Jesus just told them, you don't know God. He's not your father. Satan is your father. You're following a liar and a murderer. Your religion in its state like this is worthless. And if you really knew who God was, you'd love me because you're looking at him. Amazing. See, God is our creator, but he's not our father. God lost us in the garden. That relationship he created Adam and Eve to have, we were supposed to have an eternal relationship with God like that. Death was never even part of the equation. But God said, I'm going to give you one provision as a test of love, don't eat of that tree in the middle. You can have everything else, but don't eat of that. The day you eat of that, the day you decide that your way is better than my way, that you can go your own way, you don't have to listen to my word or you can live independently of me and you think you can live apart from me, the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Well, they ate. Sin entered the world. And with it came death, physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. You see, God loves us, but he can't have that relationship he wanted with us because of the sin that's in every one of our lives. All of us have sinned and fall short of his glory, all of us. There's no exceptions. So God became flesh and sent his son to take our sins upon himself and to pay our penalty. He came to redeem us. That's why Paul, who called himself the chief of sinners, wrote like this to the Romans in Romans 3, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, God created us for himself but lost us to sin and he had to buy us back. He had to pay the redemption price because, you see, we were slaves to sin and the master was Satan. He owned us outright by humanity's choice. So Satan had every right by law God's law to demand if you want this one it will cost you Jesus. And God said we'll pay it. That's why John would later write in John 3 verse 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That relationship lost in the garden would now be restored, but it would cost him Jesus. You remember when I told you Isaiah said 700 years before that the people walking in darkness have seen a gray light? A child is given, a son is born. Listen to what Paul wrote in Colossians 1 verse 13 in fulfillment of that. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. He told the Romans in Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, God is the only one who would pay that price. Jesus was the only one who could. Now do you understand why it's so absolutely ridiculous when people say, All religions are the same. There are many ways to God. The most important thing is you're just sincere in what you believe and you're a good person. People, if any of those things I just said were true, God is a liar and Jesus died for nothing. But the fact is, God is the truth. His son is the truth. And Jesus didn't die for nothing. He died for you. Christmas is a celebration you don't want to miss. Anybody here old enough to remember Paul Harvey on the radio? Remember him? And now you know the rest of the story. Remember that guy? Well, if you never heard of him, he was a modern-day storyteller. I used to love to listen to that guy. Uh, Paul Harvey was a Christian, and he told stories, common everyday life stories that taught you things that you didn't want to forget. Um, years ago, Paul Harvey on the radio told this story. Christmas story. I'd never heard it before and uh, I want to share it with you. I can't do it like Paul Harvey does it. I have a cold so you might not want to get too close to me even after the service but even without a cold I can't sound quite like Paul Harvey but here's here's what he said on that broadcast you know the Christmas story the story of God born as a man in a manger and all that it escapes some moderns Mostly, I think, because they seek complex answers to their questions, and this one is so utterly simple. So for the cynic and the skeptic and the unconvinced, I submit a modern parable. The man to whom I'm going to introduce you is not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man, generous to his family, upright with his dealings with other men, but he just didn't believe all that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. Just didn't make sense. He was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm not going to church with you this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather stay at home, but that he would sit up and wait for them. And so he stayed home and they went to the midnight service. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier and then went back to his fireside chair and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound and then another and then another, sort of a thump or a thud. At first, he thought someone was throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They'd been caught in the storm and in a desperate search for shelter, they had tried to fly through his large landscape window. Well, he couldn't just let the poor creatures lie there and freeze to death in the snow, so he remembered the barn where his children stabled their little pony. That would provide a warm shelter if he could direct the birds to it. Hurriedly, he put on a coat and boots, tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the door wide and turned on a light the birds wouldn't come in. He figured food would entice them in. So he hurried back to the house, fetched some breadcrumbs, sprinkled them on the snow, making a trail all the way into the yellow lighted, wide open doorway of that heated stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them, he couldn't. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms. Instead, they just scattered in every direction except into the warm, lighted barn. And then he realized they were afraid of him. They just didn't know him. So he said, to them, I'm a stranger and a terrifying creature. If if only I think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them, I'm trying to help them, but how? Because any move that he made tended to frighten them off, confuse them, and they just would not be led or shooed because they feared him. Paul Harvey said, the man said to himself, if only I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language. Then I could tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to the safe barn. But I'd have to be one of them so they could see and hear and understand. And he said, at that moment, the church bells in the village began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind, and he stood there listening to the bells, listening to the bells that he knew were heralding the glad tidings of the incarnation. God had become a man. Jesus was born and he said he sank to his knees in the snow people this is why God did it this is why he came he came to be one of us he came to tell us who he is that we don't have to be afraid of him We don't have to wander around confused and afraid. He came so we can know his name. We can know his love. And so we can know what he has done for us. God came to redeem us. To bring us back. To save us from our sins. This is why We always share the Christmas story at our house before we do anything else at Christmas. The true Christmas story. Because it's so full of the meaning and purpose of why God sent angels to have such a celebration the night Jesus was born, because the story is true. Do you remember what Luke said? And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For to you this day in the city of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph And the baby lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And everyone who heard them were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. But the shepherds, they left glorifying and praising God. because all the things they had seen and heard were just as they had been told. People, the Christmas story isn't just a story, it's history. This really happened. This morning when I was wheeling our garbage cans out to put by the curb, it was dark, eerily quiet. It's one of those really alone moments you sometimes just get where it doesn't seem like there's anybody else in the world. No cars, no people. There wasn't even any sound on the freeway. And I just stood there. And I said, Jesus, this is the eve of your birth. And I don't know what all this day holds. I don't know if my cold's gonna get worse or better. I don't know if we're gonna be able to sing as well as we'd love to this afternoon at the choir. I don't know how the services are gonna go this morning or even if Carla will be able to sing. I said, God, I know this. My heart is full of joy today because what we're celebrating is true. It's real. Jesus has come. Some didn't recognize him. Some didn't want him. But to those who believed and received him." He gave them the gift of becoming his children. God became flesh to reveal God and to save you. Have you believed this Christmas? Jesus is God in human flesh, the savior of the world. Father, thank you for today. This day has more meaning than we could possibly know. And I don't know all the day holds, but I know you who holds the day. And I want to thank you for being the God you are, who are still saving people who believe the simplicity of the Christmas message. That's why if you're sitting here right now, and you're wondering whether or not you've ever really committed your heart to Jesus, you don't have to wonder. You can do it right now. By grace, this grace that John talked about, by this grace we are saved through faith and this not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. The gift that Jesus really wants is you. So if you're here today and you know you're a sinner just like the rest of us and you now understand that it's your sin that separates you from God and it will forever if it isn't forgiven and that Jesus came to show you who God is and to pay the price to redeem you then open your heart to Jesus today and ask him for the gift. Ask Jesus to come and live in you. He is the light of life. And you can pray just like this right now, right where you sit, in the quietness of your heart, God will hear you. You can say to him, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I believe that it's my sin that separates me from you. I believe you love me. That's why you came to die for me. For my sins and my place on that cross. And when you died, I believe my payment was made, that you were taken down and buried in a tomb, but the grave couldn't hold you. Three days later, you rose again victorious, just as you promised. You conquered sin, death, and the grave for me, and you're alive. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask you, please come and live in me. Wash away all of my sins and forgive me. Bring me into a relationship with God. Teach me to follow you all of my days. And I will thank you for so great a gift the gift of life.